What does freedom feel like? Man, it feels like freedom when you're going on vacation and then as you're leaving, you take your email and you put on that automatic reply that says, whatever problem you have is not my problem. Uh, rough translation. It's, you know, a little more professional, but you get the feeling. Man, it feels like freedom when a kid on summer break steps off that school bus and just, yes, for the next way too short days in their mind, sleeping in, no homework, ice cream for breakfast, and whatever delusions they have cooked up. But then it feels like freedom for that parent when one long summer later they drag that kid back to the bus stop, set them down, wave goodbye, and then go straight to Target and grab an iced coffee. I have seen some of y'all do that, for the record. And it feels like freedom when you pay off your car loan, and then now you can spend that money on something else you didn't want to spend that money on. It feels like freedom when you get your one-year chip for sobriety. Like, I've got some friends who have hit that, and they are thrilled, and they are proud of themselves, and they should be. And that is a feeling of freedom. And it feels like freedom when you're out hiking by yourself in Brown County, and you realize you don't have any cell phone service. It was awesome. And then I got scared because I heard a noise. I thought it was a bear. I know there's not bears. I thought it was a bear. I really wish I had cell service. But for a moment, man, I felt free. Where are we going with this freedom stuff? Well, we're kicking off a new series. We're walking through the book of Galatians, right? So we're talking about Galatians, freedom, and Jesus. That's a big theme throughout the book of Galatians. Galatians is a letter written by a guy named Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament to a group of churches in the region of Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And so Paul was somebody who hated Jesus and then started to follow Jesus and then went all around the Mediterranean Sea starting and encouraging churches. And so he wrote this letter to the group of churches in Galatia for a very specific problem. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, was promised to the nation of Israel, and he came, he lived a perfect life, died a death he didn't deserve so the people could follow him, which is awesome. That's the gospel. That's good news. And in Galatia, there were people who were saying, all of that is true, and... Now you need to follow Jewish traditions and Jewish customs. And that's a problem. We'll talk about it later because it's not our works. It's not our efforts that get to Jesus. Paul knows that. And there were people in Galatia that were saying, now you have to become Jewish too. And so Paul wrote this letter talking about the freedom Jesus brings, saying, no, 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 it's just Jesus. That's it. And he brings freedom. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some of the different freedoms that Jesus brings, like a freedom from people pleasing or a freedom from having to measure up. A freedom from sin and death, even. He brings a lot of freedom, which is why we're saying that word a lot. And today we're talking about how we are freed by grace. That's kind of the first idea. It's something that's throughout the whole letter, is we are freed by grace. What's grace, right? I mean, it's something that homeschool kids are named. Yes. Uh, grace is also a lot of, oh, come on, that was funny. Y'all can laugh. Uh, that was not an approved joke, but you can laugh. Uh, but grace is a lot of things, right? Uh, grace is something where like, we miss a deadline at work. It's like, oh, shoot, I'm sorry. I, I need some grace on that. Or, you know, a loved one dies. We go to the funeral, we eat some potato salad, and we sing Amazing Grace. Or grace, I mean, this is one that we use a lot, kind of the phrase of saying grace at the dinner table. Like, thank you, Lord, for this double bacon supersized cheeseburger. Please bless it to the nourishment of my body. Amen. I don't think God answered those with a yes. I think it's more like a, hey, try again, buddy. Forgive me, Father, for I'm about to sin. I don't know. But like, we say grace. There's a lot of times we think of grace. What do we mean by grace in the book of Galatians? Right? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Right? That's our operational definition. Grace is God's unmerited favor. I said that in a meeting this past week, and someone looked at me and was like, dude, who talks like that? And I hung my head in shame. I was like, I do. Um, 
Uh, specifically the word unmerited and merited. I use that word a lot because to me, merit is everything. I grew up wanting to earn and deserve. Like merit, in case you haven't heard it this century, uh, merit means something that we earn. And I grew up wanting to earn everything. That means a lot to me. One of my goals in high school was to be a national merit scholar. And yes, y'all would have made fun of me. I get it. That's the person who does well enough on the PSAT that their name goes on a banner in Ryder High School in Wichita Falls, Texas. And my name is not on a banner in Ryder High School, Wichita Falls, Texas, because I didn't get that. And it bothered me so much that it's coming out now. Uh, hey, unmerited. We did not earn it. Man, I want to earn things. I hate it when I don't earn things and I get them anyway. Maybe you can relate. A couple months ago, we had a staff team building activity where we went up to Indy and we went to do this game show kind of thing. Like they split us into two teams and it was trivia and or trivia and like little games and we're going and one team is just obliterating the other team, right? It's not close. This is murder, uh, non-violent, non-contact murder. And it's like 23 to eight or something like that. And then we get to the last question. They're like, hey, don't worry about the points. Don't worry. We're going to keep track of that for you. Just go out there and have fun. And then the team somehow comes back from 8 to 24 points to win by just one point. It was stupid. <laughs> stupid. And I was on the losing team that, does, like, that somehow won. And I am the most upset person on our staff about it. They actually made us take a picture because we won. And I refused to touch the trophy. Adam, if you're listening, this is stupid. And I'm still upset about this. But thank you. Um, and... I want to earn things, right? I feel like I deserve it and I earn it and then it's good. And sometimes we do that. It's not always healthy and it does not work with God's grace, right? It does not work. We can't do that. Grace is God's unmerited favor. We cannot earn it. We don't deserve it. We cannot get to God on our own. It does not work. That's this big theme that we see in the book of Galatians. It's how Paul starts this out. In Galatians 1 verses 3 through 5, just at the very beginning of the letter, he says this. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Here's the gospel. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God the Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. There's this idea of grace. What are we supposed to do with this grace that we can't earn, that we don't deserve? What does that mean here? What are we supposed to do with it? So glad you asked receive grace, right? That's our first thing. That's the first thing we do with grace. We want to receive grace. If we want to experience freedom in Christ and all of the good that that brings, we need to receive grace. And sometimes we make this harder than it has to be because we don't like admitting we need help. We don't like receiving something that we didn't earn. Problem is we can't get grace on our own. We have to receive it. And to kind of illustrate this, it's time for art class with Reed. All right? So we're going to bring out a flip chart, and I'm going to give you kind of a quick timeout here. Because Adam talks about how much he loves flip charts. I don't, all right? I don't like them. I don't like it when I walk into a green room and we see the flip chart is already out. I don't like the fact that I have to use one on stage. Um, and the reason I don't like it so much is because this is genuinely hard for me, okay? I have been practicing all week the correct way to make stick figures because I kept drawing them and they were inappropriate for church, all right? Just leave it there. So I have been trying all week to get this down. So... Here's our picture time. Here we go. Here is us, and there is God. All right? And we are separated from a holy, perfect God by something called sin. Sin is anything that fails to meet God's perfect standard. All right? So we are separated from God by sin. And sometimes we think that we can get to God 
through our own efforts, right? By being good enough, right? By doing the right things or by not doing the bad things or just by being better than other people, we think we can get to God. The problem is that our efforts still include sin. Remember, sin is anything that falls short of God's standard. Even if we think, oh, it's not that big a deal. Standard is perfection because God is perfect. We fall short of it. Our sin separates us from God. I'm not a good artist, okay? I've acknowledged that. But this drawing is not to scale. See, we look at this, we're like, come on, buddy, you can make it. It's just like, you know, that's, you're six feet tall, you know, that's ten feet. You can make it, dude. First off, not many people can jump ten feet, even if we think we can. And second, not to scale. This is more like a Grand Canyon in between us and God. Something so big that it is absurd to think that we could get to God on our own. Right? Our sin, which we sometimes dismiss, think, oh, it's not that big a deal, is a big deal, so big that we cannot get to God on our own. That's not happening. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life, and he gives us something called grace, all right? So let's spell this one out, G-R-A-C-E, crushed it. All right, and grace comes in the shape of a cross, which, yes, is convenient. But also, grace comes in the shape of a cross because Jesus came and then died a death on the cross he did not deserve. So instead of us trying and failing to get to God, through grace, we can have a relationship with God, all right? And that is the point of life, that we would enjoy a life with God. There is so much that is good there. Sometimes we think, oh, I can't get there. My sin keeps me from God. I can never be enough. We can't. Sometimes we wonder, well, why do I want to get there in the first place? It's a fair question. And I am convinced that God brings a peace, hope, and joy that makes this life infinitely better. I believe he gives us a purpose that makes life worth living. I think he gives us a new identity one that we receive rather than achieve, and that changes everything. I am convinced we want to do life with God. We don't always know how, and we know we can't get there. And the reason we can't get there on our own, we fall short because of sin, and we need grace. Do we earn it? No. Can we jump? Can our efforts get us there? No. Right? Grace is God's unmerited favor, and our job in all of this, it's not to earn, it's not to achieve, it's not to accomplish, it's not to merit, it's to receive. That we would receive grace. And that's the first step have a life with God is that we would receive grace. And when we do that for the first time, man, I've had conversations with friends. They've done that for the first time when they realized, finally, I don't have to measure up. I don't have to be enough. I don't have to be good enough, strong enough, smart enough. I don't have to be enough and I can't be enough, but it's okay. Like when that clicks, man, that's cool, right? It's amazing. But over time, especially if we grew up in the church, we hear the word grace 5,000 times and yeah, you're going to hear it a hundred times a day. It's okay. Uh, man, we hear it so much that it just becomes normal. And when something amazing becomes normal, man, that's no good. Listen to these sentences. I've heard these sentences. I used to love my job, but now it's just a paycheck. We used to be so in love, but now we feel like roommates. We prayed for kids, but now we're so busy. Man, I wish we didn't even have them. Like, I've heard those sentences, and those are sad things. Like, when something that is extraordinary and amazing just becomes normal, that's not good. Paul, and I love this, when he thinks about grace, this dude who writes about grace, who talks about grace, it's not normal to him. It's still something special. Paul talks about where he was before Jesus. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, he says this, And you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion? how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. 
Before Jesus, Paul was a Pharisee. That's a Jewish religious leader. And he was famous and well-known for his attempts to hunt down and imprison and kill people who followed Jesus. Man, his efforts to get closer to God through religion, actually, still, Paul's efforts were not getting him to God. Our efforts don't get us to God. And Paul thinks about where he was before Jesus. Think about just us in this room, like where we were before Jesus, either before him or without him. We've had lives where, in the middle of addiction, in the middle of pain, in the middle of mistakes, of feeling unworthy and unloved, and then a lot of horrible choices that come from that, in the middle of feeling like we were so good on the outside and then on the inside, having just that gap where we know we're not. I mean, like a lot of us, without God, might even try to hide it or try to be enough on our own. But when we finally get the idea of grace, that we don't have to be, because Jesus was perfect, and that's amazing, and that's beautiful. And that's worth marveling at. Like Marvel. Like Marvel Cinematic Universe, same word, different definition. Uh, Marvel is something that means to be filled with wonder. That's how we should respond to grace. Right? First, we receive it. And then second, I think we should marvel at grace's beauty. And if you don't know Jesus, that first step is receiving grace. And if you do know Jesus, especially if you followed him for a long time, I think sometimes we forget that this is something that's actually beautiful. It's worth marveling at. And I don't use the word marvel very much. I've used it more now than I have in the last couple of weeks. But what does it mean to marvel? Like to be full of wonder. The things that make me full of wonder are kind of a scattered list. I think back to 2015 when Odell Beckham Jr., when he's playing for the New York Giants, makes that like really famous one-handed backwards falling diving catch. Like some of you guys are reliving that in your mind right now. That was one of the best sports plays of all time. That's worth marveling at. Man, I got to see the Grand Canyon, and when I realized how big it was and how small it was, like, oh, I marveled at it. There's things that we marvel at. It's that first bite of amazing food when you're cold and you're tired and you're hangry, and then you have the first bite of chili for the season. Like, for me, that's a thing. Wow. But for you guys, what do you marvel at? I've got some people, when they think of marvel, it's like, oh, when I saw my wife on our wedding day. Man, that's an amazing thing. Or the first kid. Or maybe it's when the leaves change color out in Brown County. Like There are things that fill us with wonder. As great as all those things are, grace is even more marvelous. It's more beautiful than that. Here's how Paul describes it. Galatians 1, 15 through 16. Here's who I was before Jesus. I was getting no closer to God. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Man, marvelous grace. It's beautiful. Sometimes we don't even sing the song Amazing Grace. Like, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When we forget that we're a wretch, right? Old word, that we need grace to get to God, right? When grace is just something we say, it's no longer sweet. When we remember how beautiful grace is, man, that's sweet. That's different. It's beautiful. Um, The other night, I was talking to my daughter, Bella, into bed, and we've got this whole bedtime routine. It's super cute. Yes, I know. Uh, We'll go, and we'll talk about our favorite part of the day. We'll talk about something that made us smile. We'll talk about something that made us feel loved. We've got a secret handshake, and we'll pray together. And if, this is a big if, uh, she gets to bed on time in the first place, we'll read a book. All right? I don't like these books. They're normally pretty dumb. This one was. It was a book called... How beautiful. It was about a caterpillar. And a caterpillar search for beauty. Because the caterpillar asks, what is beauty? And he sees a bear. And the bear takes something that he sees as valuable, which was honey, and says, honey is beautiful. 
He keeps going. He sees a blackbird. He says, what, what's beauty? And the blackbird says, ooh, this tin can. It's shiny. It's beautiful. He sees it as valuable, so it's beautiful. And at the end of the book, the caterpillar goes outside, I guess, of the forest, and then sees the moon. He goes, oh, how beautiful. And then it ends, right? It honestly is a pretty lame ending. Um, Bella thinks it's a cliffhanger, but there's not a part two. It's just a poorly written children's book. <laughs> but the caterpillar gets it right in a way, because when we see something as valuable, we see it as beautiful. And when we see grace as valuable, we see it as beautiful. When we realize that we had no shot of getting to God, and we know that, then grace becomes more valuable, and it becomes more beautiful, right? It's worth marveling at grace's beauty, because it's valuable. We could never get it on our own. Like, think about it. That God the creator of the universe who created mountains and valleys and oceans and canyons and placed every star where it should go, God would see us and that he would give us value, that he would see us as worth pursuing. Not because we're good and we can get to him on our own because we're not. Not because we're perfect or not because we're so amazing because we aren't. But that he would see us in the middle of whatever mess, whatever crap, whatever baggage we have. Right, that he sees people in the middle of an addiction, that he sees people in the middle of not just drug use or alcohol or porn or adultery or whatever affairs or gluttony or arrogance or whatever mess we have in our life, because we have a lot of mess. That God would see us in that, not all cleaned up, and would reach out and say, you can't get to me, but I will come to you. That's beautiful. And we want to marvel at grace's beauty, that we would be so lost and so far from God, and we would have a chance to be found. We didn't find ourselves, not that we earned our way to God, we can't, but that God would reach out would find us. We might even be blind to our own need for God, but that he sees us and he gives us a chance. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved wretched was like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We don't get any credit in that, but that's God reaching out and that's beautiful. And grace is beautiful. It's worth marveling at. But one of the things that makes grace so beautiful is how much it costs. So that's our third way to respond, right? We want to receive grace. We want to marvel at grace's beauty. And we want to remember grace's cost. See, grace is not free. It is offered to us as a free gift. It is the free gift of God, all right? But it costs a lot. We just didn't pay the bill. I've got a patio at my house, and one of my favorite things to do is just kind of go out, sit in this old beat-up Cracker Barrel rocking chair, uh, and sip a cup of coffee, especially when it's fall, like it finally is. Like, that's awesome. Uh, I love that, and I'm very grateful for it, because when I got the house, right, here's the house, here's the back patio, it's actually angled back in towards the house, and so whenever it would rain, water would pool up, and that caused problems, and I knew about this, and was told it would be about $500 to 1000 bucks to fix through something called mudjacking. What's mudjacking? I'm glad you asked, I didn't know, we're not going to go over it. Point is, uh, we were going to have somebody come out and do some mudjacking to it, and it turns out they got there, and they said, hey, Mr. Chapman, uh, oh, that's not good. Um, turns out we can't do this. You're going to have to have the entire thing taken out and replaced. Have a great day. Bye. And then they left. And then they all came down and then they all left. Um, so instead of doing a $500 to $1,000 fix, I'd have the entire back patio torn out and a new one put back in. And that's thousands of dollars. And that was a really big problem because I had about $1,000 in my bank account. Like buying the house took about everything I had. I did not have the money. And all of a sudden, there's this like safety and insurance potential problem. It's like, uh-oh. Uh, so my parents stepped in. And graciously and freely, there was no strings attached. It was just a genuine gift from parents that loved me that saw I needed help. They actually paid, and they had a new patio put in for me. 
Uh, I am very grateful for that. I, I could not earn it. I could not pay it. I did not have the money to pay it, right? Just not a chance. There were no strings attached. It was just a gift, right? That back patio was free for me, but it was not free. It was actually very expensive. I just didn't pay the bill. See where we're going with this? Grace is not free. It was extraordinarily expensive, but we could not and we did not have to pay the bill. Sometimes, like, we'll sing Amazing Grace, we'll talk about it, and we'll even say, and I will, I will summarize the gospel and say, Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died a death he didn't deserve so we could have a relationship with God that starts now and lasts forever. And that's true, and that's short, and that's fast, and that's why I say it. But even saying it like that sometimes skips past how much grace costs. Because we'll say he died a death he didn't deserve, or Jesus died for us on the cross. And we don't think about, oh, what did that entail? What did that, what did that mean? So we're going to sit in that, and it's going to be uncomfortable. And I hope it's uncomfortable, because nothing about grace is comfortable, right? We need it, and we can't earn it, and it was purchased for us at great cost, and this is how it was purchased, right? Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life, and this is how he died a death he didn't deserve. He was found as guilty, even though he had committed no crime, by the Roman Empire and Jewish people, and they were then given a chance to show mercy, was even encouraged as an opportunity to show mercy. And instead of mercy, crowds of angry people whom Jesus loved shouted and yelled out, crucify him, crucify him. And then as part of that crucifixion process, he was stripped of his clothes, he was laid out in front of people, and then he was beaten with whips. And these whips were whips that would have multiple strands of leather, and in that leather were little metal balls, pieces of glass, and then like little nails. And so Jesus would have been laid out and stretched with his back stretched out, and then would have been whipped and beaten again and again, and the balls would bruise, and then the glass and the metal would dig into and then rip out Jesus' flesh. And if you're uncomfortable, you should be. I'm uncomfortable too. But that happened again and again to the point that he would have been barely recognizable. Then a crown of thorns was taken and smashed into his head, mocking him and his claims of royalty, which were not false claims, but mocked for them, spit on and then taken and then paraded through the town, where he was forced to carry part of the cross he would die on, the cross beam. But he was so weak from the beating that he was unable to carry it. Till so he finally gets to Golgotha, called the Place of the Skull. It was a crucifixion site outside of Jerusalem. And even there, there would have been only more pain. They would have taken the cross and laid it on the ground, and then laid him out on it. I want you to take your hand. We talk about nails in Jesus' wrist or hands. I want you to feel it. In our arm right here, we have bones. We have the radius and ulna. So take your thumb, go ahead and do it, and then put it right there in between those two. Put a little bit of pressure. That's where the nail would have gone, right? That's considered in Roman times part of the wrist. A nail would have been placed through the wrist on a crossbeam and then nailed in, and then the other one. Then his legs would have been taken and bent out and then placed with his feet on top of each other on the bottom of that, and then a nail driven through the feet as well. After that, the whole cross with Jesus nailed into it, beaten, broken, bloody, almost unrecognizable, would have been taken and lifted up and then dropped into a hole in the ground. And with that drop, many of his bones would be dislocated by that sudden impact. After that, he would then continue to suffocate for approximately six hours, where every single breath would have been earned by, with the nails into the cross, pulling himself up enough to breathe. And every single breath, and even when he spoke, that was precious breath. And one of the things he said on the cross was, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. 
I want to point this out. Jesus was God. In the middle of all that agony and excruciating pain, at any given point in time, he could have called it off and said, never mind, not worth it. And he didn't. And because he wanted us to experience grace, and we cannot earn it. Without Jesus' death, we did not have a shot at getting to God. And Jesus gave us grace, and that grace came at incredible cost. And sometimes we forget that, or we just gloss over it, Right? We just say grace, we sing amazing grace, we talk about grace at church, we come in, we sing some songs, we hear a talk, throw a 20 in the offering plate, we keep on moving with our life, and we forget how much grace costs. Because we forget how much it costs, we don't even see it as beautiful. Sometimes we forget we need to receive it. Now, I want us to receive grace, I want us to marvel at how beautiful it is. But right now, as an act of worship, and a way to marvel, and a way to remember grace's cost, we're going to take communion together. So, I want you guys to go ahead and take this out. We're going to think about, like, okay, what is this? What's in it? All right? So we have these. These are going to be right in front of you. Uh, it'll be on the ground. And it's a little piece of wafer, and it's some juice. So let's go ahead and let's take that out. But let's remember how this started, too. See, when Jesus started the idea of the Lord's Supper, this was actually with his followers right before he was going to be crucified. And so he takes what they're eating and drinking, and then he does something kind of weird. Uh, Luke twenty two nineteen describes this. This is talking about Jesus. And it says, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And Jesus wanted us to do this to remember grace and what it costs and how beautiful it is. So I want us to do something a little bit different. Um, I want you to go ahead and take it, take this. This is what I do whenever I take communion. You don't have to, but today, humor me. Jesus' body was broken for us. And we say that, and then we skip past it. But we talked about what it meant for his body to be broken on the cross. Beaten, nails, scourged, crown of thorns, dislocated, suffocation, broken. And so as a reminder of what grace costs, sometimes what I do, go ahead and take it, and I'll take it, and I'll break it in half. And it's just that thought of, oh, yeah, now, your body was broken for me. So take just a moment and thank God for the fact that even though we could not get to him, he made it possible. God, your grace is beautiful. We could not get to you. Thank you. Go ahead and then take the bread. Go ahead and eat that. Go ahead and then open up the cup and we've got juice. Jesus' blood was poured out for us, right? He endured incredible agony and excruciating pain so we could have a relationship with God that starts now and lasts forever. And grace is beautiful, and it was not free. So go ahead, take this, and then do this in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice. Paul said this, May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give us grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God the Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. I'd like to pray for us. God, thank you for grace. You knew that we could not make it to you on our own. You knew that life with you is the best way to live, now and forever, but also that we could not get to you. We could not be perfect enough. We could not measure up. We could not be enough. God, we are not. But you saw us in the middle of all of our brokenness, in the middle of all of our mess, and you chose to see value 
and purpose, and you loved us. Not because we loved you first, but you loved us, and you came and got us. You would die an excruciating, painful death on a cross, so the people who had no shot of living with you could live with you forever. We are grateful. God, that is beautiful. Help us to see it as amazing and to know that your grace is beautiful and that we have the opportunity to receive it and that it came at great cost. We do not take it for granted. We love you and we trust you. Amen.